Hello and welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. You're going to want to stick around this time. We are talking to Dan Burke, a spiritual writer, very well known from EWTN, formerly now with the Avila Institute. He just came out of hospital a little while ago after experiencing a horribly bad case of coronavirus. He thought he was going to die. He had his will written. He was in isolation, deep spiritual darkness, he explains. He also talks about this as a chastisement and about how it is connected to receiving communion in the hand. Let's stick around for this and listen closely. Before we begin, let me just remind you to please like this video, also hit the subscribe button below and click on the bell so you'll be informed of new episodes as they are released. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dan Burke is someone who was very well known as part of EWTN News, also someone who is the founder and president of the Avila Institute, which is an institute for spiritual formation. He's written many books on spiritual formation of Catholics, a very uh, great believer and uh, lover of our Lord Jesus, who just experienced coronavirus. Dan, welcome to the program. Good to be with you, John Henry. And uh, your story has obviously gone viral everywhere. I saw you on Taylor Marshall, you were on Fox News, uh, discussing the suffering that you endured. Um, we'd like to get into that a little bit, but also wanted to discuss something that you mentioned on Taylor's program that uh, is most fascinating and yet very little heard about the seeing the coronavirus or appreciating it also as a chastisement or wake-up call from our Lord. So why don't you start uh, with telling us a little bit about yourself uh, and about what uh, what you experienced uh, in hospital and uh, suffering from the coronavirus? Well, uh, my lungs have been in decline for a number of years already. I'm a, I have chronic asthma and for some reason they've been deteriorating, which caused me to reevaluate just how, you know, my life in general and ultimately led to my resignation as president of EWTN News. And, uh, and then, of course, just focusing on the Avila Foundation, spiritualdirection.com, all of that. And um, so I, I remember talking to my oldest. Actually, he reminded me when the coronavirus began to kind of appear on the horizon. And I said, son, you just need to know that if uh, if I get that, I'm going to die. I said, my, and I'm, you know, and I'm ready to die. If you live uh, according to the teachings of the church, you will be ready to die. And I, and I was. Um, and of course, being in Lent, I, 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 I'd also been doing a, Stations of the Cross daily with St. Alphonsus Ligurian. For some reason this year, I focused on this idea of of dying in whatever way the Lord desired, and I had made a a purpose, a purposeful commitment to Him, and, and re resigned to whatever You want to do with me. I'll, I'll you know, I'll, uh, I've, I'd always asked for an easy death, you know, which I think all of us would like. And um, so those were kind of ominous uh, forewarnings to what was coming. Um, on uh, Stephanie and I, my wife and I had traveled through two international airports and returned from Dallas on March the 9th. We had no symptoms until the 17th, uh, but things began to decline quite dramatically from there. I went into the ER once. I was, I was already having issues breathing. And then they sent me home because it wasn't bad enough. Stephanie actually has, has had it at the same time, went into the ER too, as well as one of our employees. And um, went home. Uh, a, a Catholic friend who's a physician called called us and said, "Listen, um, you need to go back, but go to the, a different hospital. And there's they have a uh, an uh, infectious disease ward. Half their beds are open. Given your lung condition, you need to just go back." Mm -hmm. And um, by that time, I have emergency medical equipment in my home because of my lung issues also that I would travel with. And by that time, I was using the maximum dosages of steroids 
and other medications the, that you would get in the ER already, and my lungs were not were, were getting worse. And so we uh, decided to get into the ho- uh, into the car and drive to the hospital. And as we got in, I had asked my wife to get me a pad and paper. I wrote out my will. Um, we had begun the process earlier the previous year and never finished it. So I wrote out my will um, because I suspected that I was going to die. And when we separated, we both went into the ER for treatment. Um, you know, we ba- Stephanie, in her mind, the way she tells it, part, parted with a sense that she may never see me again and, and said some very beautiful things to me that were appropriate in the moment. I couldn't respond well because of my breathing, um, but obviously my heart was there. Um, so we went, uh, so I was uh, admitted on March 21st with, and I went to a normal, through the ER, I was admitted right away. And then I went from a normal room after the doctor saw me, they said, we need to get him into ICU right away. So I, I was only in a normal room for a few hours and then I moved again into the ICU. Um, the, uh, you know, it's hard to describe John Henry, this situation. I've had more uh, surgeries than I can count my body has never been my friend, so I've, and I've had more hospitalizations than I can count. And, I, and I've even had very beautiful, powerful experiences in illness of offering it up for people. And, you know, my last heart surgery, I, I was in such a beautiful state, just ready with the list of names as soon as things began to become uncomfortable. This was not like that. Uh, there was a spiritual darkness that came with the disease as I, for me, that as I entered into that ER and then the ICU and then the radical isolation, separation from my wife, that was like nothing I had ever experienced. I don't want to keep rambling and, and uh, without make, I want to make sure I'm answering your questions, but that's the, that's the entry into ICU. It got worse from there. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing thing with this particular uh, uh, epidemic, pandemic, or whatever, that isolation factor where you're literally separated from all your loved ones. No one can come uh, close to you. You experience that. I know you, you describe it as a, as a period of, of great darkness as well. What, can you get into that a little bit more? What, what's so dark about it? I know you experienced a lot of um, uh, spiritual, not, not comfort, but... but uh, realization or, or, or whatever with your former illnesses, but this was different in that particular way. Yeah, so there's physiological, uh, it was very painful, and it was very hard to breathe, um, which is, a, which is a, a, a just, I'm used to it, so I can have peace in the midst of it, but it causes a, a deep anxiety in the body because the body feels like it's drowning. Mm. Um, and so... And once it began to move beyond my ability to treat myself, of course, then it's, it's quite severe. So I was experiencing f- sort of physiological, uh, really, and it was painful. The virus is very painful form of the, you know, uh, flu, if you will, the way you feel when you have the flu. It was, it was quite elevated from that. And then you enter in the ICU, and of course, everyone's masked up. And the, the nurses immediately apologized and said, I'm sorry, you need to understand we can't come in as often as we'd normally like to and to care for you as we would like to. Because every time they came in, they had to come with a layer of clothing that was only for that visit in that moment and gloves. Wow. So they would come in uh, out, uh, and then they would do whatever they needed to do for me. Then they would exit and as they're exiting, they had to take off the outer layer, clean their masks. Or they had a, they had like a, I don't know, a screw, uh, uh, like a like a welder has almost, you know. And then they had double uh, face masks below that, and wow. and then and then they would have to strip off that, step out of the room, and then put on a new outer outer layer. Um, and and at one time, the nurse came and apologized again to me and said. We're running low on supplies. 
And so I will be in less. And so at one point, you know, this is moving forward a bit, but as I was recovering, I actually needed to use the, not to get too graphic, but I needed to use the bathroom rather quickly, but I could not stand on my own at that point. Mm. So I had to, and because it was so hard to get nurses' attention, I, and I'm not complaining, don't, don't hear me uh, complaining. It's just the way it is. I had to crawl out of my bed across the floor into the bathroom. And by the time, you know, I mean, and the nurses eventually came, but so the dark, so those are the, that's sort of the physiological, then there's that psychological, but John Mm -hmm. Henry, um, there was a spiritual darkness like I've never experienced in my life ever. I, you know, I just, uh, had a beautiful call with a cloistered, um, prioress who said that she was weeping, you know, crying out to heaven, was so happy that we're well. It was a beautiful phone call right before I got on with you. And um, I said to her, I said, I don't, you know, I'm not a, I, I don't claim to be a mystic, I, you know, or any of that. And I, what I'm about to say could be audacious and I don't want it to be, but I, if it's possible, for a human being in any way to understand what Jesus suffered in the garden or what he suffered when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That darkness for me was a sliver of a sliver of whatever that was for Jesus, the most black uh, spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. I had no sense of God's presence at all. Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't uh, despair and I didn't lose faith. Or, or hope, but I was despairing on a, uh, in, in a way. I mean, I was weeping a lot. I was offering up the suffering of the darkness and then how I was feeling for, for people would come to mind and I would weep for them. Um, a, a few people in particular, their faces, their names, institutions, good and important institutions in the church, I would offer it up for. And so I had a sense, you know, I knew it was going on, all of that in a way, but it was totally new territory for me to go into pitch black. Like if you've ever camped out in places really far from the city, you, you, when there's no moon, there's no uh, moon out. You, even if you flash a good flashlight, you can only see it. It's sort of the, the darkness envelops the light at some point Mm -hmm. in a near Mm -hmm. distant, you know, um, it was like that. There was it, the darkness was impenetrable, and it was just uh, a horrible kind of suffering. Wow, wow! Now, one of the incredible things that you've said about this, and it's it's been said by Cardinal Burke, by Bishop Schneider, by a few others, but very few. Um, and that's to recognize in this the hand of God, to recognize in this uh, pandemic uh, that's affecting the whole wide world, a, a type of chastisement. If you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, uh, uh, maybe before I do, I want to just give one other piece of that experience. I was intubated very shortly after going into the ICU, which means I had a... Uh, ventil- I went on a ventilator. Eight out of ten people die uh, who are on COVID who go on a ventilator. And I'm fairly certain the numbers are higher for those who go in with the lung condition, underlying conditions that I had. As I went in, my wife heard uh, an interior locution three days. Three days. And of course, the reference and even how I've described the experience. So at the end of three days, I ripped out the intubation tube when I was unconscious, which is hard to do because I was in constraints. And then, and so I ripped it out. It caused a huge commotion, of course, in the ICU. The nurse called my wife uh, and said, and that was the end of the third day, and said, um, uh, I need to tell you that your husband tore out his intubation tube. And she said, but he's breathing on his own. You know, so when I came out of that, I came out uh, with a very strong sense to answer your question, John Henry, that this is a warning that uh, and, 
you know, you're you're in the news. I used to be in the news. So the, the sins of the church are often, unfortunately, things that people in the news have to report on. So we know the sins of idolatry. We know the sins of the hierarchy with McCarrick. We know the sins of abuse and all of that. But what struck me was a call to repentance of the laity for for sacrilege, um, for uh, in the holy sacrifice of the mass, and for irreverence. And I mean irreverence in a in a at the level of of mortal sin or at the level of very uh, serious sin and that the laity needed to repent they needed to repent for usurping the role of the priest and gestures in the mass repent for not being prepared repent for going forward and receiving the eucharist in a state of mortal sin which in its objective a great gravity is not different than a satanist it's different in intent but objective moral gravity, it's not, it's its the same as a Satanist coming, prying open the tabernacle and desecrating our Lord. And I, I came out with a strong sense that we have to repent. And, and I, many, my wife has said you're different than when you went into the ICU. Many have said, you know, the, the, the prioress that I just spoke with, she said, your voice is stronger. And I've never been a wimp, you know. I've never been uh, passive or, or unclear about my faith, ever, um, because Jesus saved me out of darkness and uh, a darkness in my youth, like, like you know, that, you know, I would put a bullet in my head if I hadn't found Jesus. So my faith has always been strong, but I, I've come out of this with a, uh, a, resol a resoluteness, if you will, a firm conviction of my need to cry out to the laity to repent and to stop desecrating Christ, stop receiving him in, an, in a manner that is destructive, uh, that allows for the stealing of the host, that allows for dropping of particles and the trampling of the Lord under our feet. And of course, you know, many know me, uh, see me as a traditionalist, and, and that's not wrong. Um, but circumstantially, I attend a, a beautiful high Novus Ordo parish. Um, and that's where the problems are. The, the Latin mass community has its own problems. There's humans, right? So wherever you have humans, you have sin and problems and trend issues. There are no issues of reverence in the Latin mass community. There might be internally, but certainly not externally as a norm. In the ordinary form of the mass, uh, every single day, the Lord is desecrated. Every single day, grave irreverence. Every single day, we commit the most grave sins, John Henry, which, I, you know, you don't have to be Thomas Aquinas to figure out, are sins against God himself in the realm of worship. And that's the conviction I came out with. Wow. Let, let's unpack this a little bit, because there's so much in there. First of all, uh, Let's talk about unworthy reception of Holy Communion, because Bishop Snyder said something a few years ago, which I, I just happened to recently re-watch uh, a video uh, of his. It was an interview that he had with Church Militant, and he was describing uh, uh, chastisements, actually, um, and he was mentioning the same thing you are in terms of unworthy reception of Holy Communion. And he quoted from 1 Corinthians 11, where St. Paul gives a warning of a, a type of chastisement that comes from unworthy reception of Holy Communion. And he says, and this is why many are weak and sick among you, and some have died, which to me was very uh, a, a very good description of what we're experiencing right now with the pandemic. So there's a lot of that going on, obviously. What would you say is, is actually um, our status right now in terms of unworthy reception of Holy Communion in the Catholic Church today? Well, so to back up just a tad, that's 1 Corinthians 11, 27. Mm -hmm. And um, that passage is one of the reasons I became Catholic. And and really uh, become to believe in the that the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ is truly and fully present in in the host and in the and in the wine as it's consecrated and um, and a, a demonic. I think it's a demonic reality 
that that passage never appears in the ordinary form lectionary ever mm. in the all three years never appears um, yeah. and so I what does it look like it looks like people receiving in the hand um, and not checking to see whether there are particles because when you receive in the hand it causes uh, uh, transact you know if I could speak like an engineer for a moment transactional activity that it is that that is minimum of two uh, twice as much or three times as much as receiving on the tongue because you grab it with your fingers um, or you or you which is the worst kind or it's placed in your hand and then you grab it with your fingers and that causes particles to break loose and at one time in my own parish, I watched, and on Sunday, we have a, it's, a, it's a cathedral, so there are a lot of people, let's just say a thousand. A hundred percent of those who received on the hand, John Henry, a hundred percent, and let me just say, this is an orthodox parish, you know, mm -hmm. with an orthodox, a very good and holy priest. Um, he's a great liturgist, he's a, he's a canon lawyer, he's the chancellor of the diocese, Father Brian Jerebic. I watched, and I always sit in the front pew anyway, or somewhere real close to the front, and just out of curiosity, 100% John Henry that received on the hand did not examine whether or not there were particles to be uh, consumed before they brushed their hands down on their side or whatever. Hmm. And that, yeah. that's, that causes desecration because, as the Council of Trent clearly says this, Tradition is clearly taught that the that if you break the host down into small pieces, the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ is still present in those pieces. If yeah. and if those drop to the floor and they're trampled underfoot, this is a grave sin. This is desecration. And wow. and so maybe there's not as full culpability on an individual because they have no intent of doing this. But certainly it's not going to go well in the judgment if they make it, you know, yeah. uh, and, and God willing they would. But that's yeah. one of many things, of course, receiving communion uh, in a state of mortal sin. You know, I've even had Cardinal Lorenzi say to me, in my presence at my own conference, okay, Avila Institute has a conference every few years. We had Cardinal Lorenzi last year, and he said, communion on the hand, the decision to allow it, quote, you can quote me on this, has been a disaster has been, this is a prince of the church who knows the state of the church in the world. And he said, it's been a disaster. And I'll tell you, I'll give you another example. I, I tr uh, before the virus, I traveled every single week of the year. I, I've spoken in just about every state in the United States. And sometimes you can find a good Latin mass and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you run into some very beautiful ordinary form masses that are done according to a hermeneutic of continuity and, and of obedience to the church. But 90% of my experience is in, is, is, is in going to mass is experiencing liturgical abuse. 90% of my experience. And I'm not a, you know, John Henry, you don't know me very well, but I'm not a, I don't spend a lot of time criticizing priests. I don't spend a lot of time criticizing bishops because what I want to focus on my calling is what can I do as a layman and how can I help lay people, right? That's my domain. But 90% of the time, priests are unfaithful to their vows in the way that they um, uh, provide the holy sacrifice of the mass because they're making stuff up. And, you know, and of mm -hmm. course, uh, the, the, um, the congregation follows and, and, you know, that sets the stage. I don't want to complain. There's a, there are thousands and thousands of wonderful priests, and there are good bishops like Bishop Strickland, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, Archbishop Sample, you know, so, uh, and we need to support those good bishops and priests, and I don't want to spend any time criticizing the, the other side, but I do want to say I came out of this with the conviction that the laity need to repent, the laity need to figure out, because when they stand before God, they're not going to be able to say, well, I didn't know, or my mm -hmm. priest didn't teach me. Or, you know, I'm sorry that I did that, you know, over and over and over again. The general instruction of the Roman Missal is clear. The teachings of the Council of Trent, you know, exceedingly clear. 
the, the tradition of the church, clear, accessible. You and I as lay people in this age have access to everything any scholar does, everything any priest does, everything any bishop does regarding how it is that we should comport ourselves before the Lord in worship, how it is that we ought to participate in worship. And you know what? We basically said, to hell with that, I'm doing it my own way. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And what is that? That's a fundamental rejection of the will of God. It's a fundamental dishonoring of God and how he's revealed how it is that he desires to be worshipped. If you remember in the Old Testament, there were two men, there were two uh, priests, Israelite priests, whom God killed because they offered what, what the Old Testament calls strange fire. What were they doing? They were violating their vows of obedience to God, and they were offering sacrifice in a way that was contrary to what he said. Then, as you noted, 1 Corinthians 11, 11, 27, there's other instances of, you know, uh, I think it was Ananias, or who, who was it, who lied to the Holy Spirit. They, you know, they dropped dead in, in, in front of yeah. Peter. You know, so we worship a very loving and, and merciful God, but who deserves a, a response that is humble and low and thank you for my salvation. Thank you for all you've done for me. We just gone through Lent. Many of us watched the Passion of the Christ. If that doesn't get in as to what Jesus has done for us, you know, then we're not going to come to this place of I owe you everything. You tell me how I should worship. This isn't about my preference. And then we should come in and we should study with reverence and act in reverence and honor the Lord in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Absolutely. Now, there is something that you said that I think is is going to be quite shocking to many people. There are very many good Catholics who love the Lord with all their hearts and souls, and yet they've been taught from, you know, their, their, their upbringing to receive Holy Communion on the hand. They actually don't understand the physical reality that you were talking about, the, the fact that when the host is placed in the hand, it can leave particles. When the host is broken by the priest, there's all sorts of particles there. Those of us who served at the masses know that. But um, it's, a, it's a reality, I think, that most people don't ever think about because they think, oh, it, it's like a, it, it, it looks like a cracker. It's sort of like a cracker. And, and therefore, it's not, you know, what's, what's left in your hand. But actually, that understanding that you give of the, te- uh, the teaching of the church, that each of the particles um, contains the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, gets across that message that, as uh, uh, Bishop Schneider said, most people unwillingly but trample on our Lord, uh, literally, uh, as as they as they uh, leave particles of our Lord strewn about the about the church, especially near the front. Yeah. So uh, that that Sunday that I watched everyone go forward and then no one, actually, absolutely no one checked their hand. I also asked Father Jerabic. I said, on a Sunday when you have a full church, how often does a patent come back? Because we use patents mm-hmm. underneath everyone to catch any particle. I said, how often? Yeah. Uh, does does the patent come back with particles on it? And he said every time. Mm. So yeah. so every time, folks, there are particles that fall in a mass where you have in the neighborhood of 500 people or whatever the number is, a significant number of people. Every time. Can I just say it to you again? Every time. So what yes. about what about those who don't check? And and as you know, again, to be a voice of mercy because God is a God of mercy. If, if you've done this and you didn't know, just uh, what do you need to do? Repent and just say and go to confession and say, you know, I father, bless me, father, for I've sinned. I have not honored the Lord in, in the way that I've approached him in Holy Communion, the way that I should. I've been careless and I didn't know. Uh, and, and, you know, what you're going to hear is God be praised. I absolve you, you know, mm-hmm. Um but mm-hmm. do that. Do that today. Don't ever do it again. Don't be afraid to kneel. You know, in our in our community, uh, the community called Apostoli VA, we have several thousand participants from around the world. One one of our members uh, who lives in Japan told me that when I first began to teach on this, he sort of bristled, and then the next time he went to mass, he received Holy Communion on the hand, and he, of course, then he took it out of his hand and put it in his mouth. And there was a, a very clear peace remaining, and he was shocked. And it was like the Lord said wow. to him, you know, he reported to me, it was like the Lord saying to me, 
it's true. It's true. Let's yeah. not do this yeah. anymore. Um, another member of the community who's very meek, a really beautiful, holy woman, but, but meek. Um, when she became convicted, she began to receive on her knees and on the tongue. And she went to a parish that, where that was frowned upon, but it's where she had to go. And, and she was told to stand up. And she said, I will receive the Lord on my knees. I will mm-hmm. receive my Lord and my God on my knees. And mm-hmm. I think we need to begin to do that. We need to stop the fear, stop worrying about who's looking at us, stop worrying about rejection, and worry most about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who sacrifices only Son on our behalf to reconcile us to the Father and to come humbly as we possibly can. Listen, if there's two options, and, and you know, the church uh, allows for an option now, there's two options, and one is humbler, uh, than the other, and you are truly converted, you will choose the humbler option. And if you mm-hmm. won't, you need to be converted. You need to repent. You need to orient your heart and mind more deeply to what he's done for you and who he is and who you are, and then humble yourself uh, before the Lord. Beautiful. Now, there is an aspect of this this uh, worldwide pandemic that we're going through right now that is truly uh, remarkable that the masses for the most part stopped for everyone uh, in a way that was unconceivable even just a little while ago um the chastisements that we were warned about uh, throughout really all of history but most specifically at fatima in 1917 um do you see any connection there to to the warnings that our, our lady of fatima gave us in 1917 so i believe in those warnings um but i'm no expert uh, I've never focused on private revelation. I do pray the rosary every day, and I have since I became Catholic. So I'm, and I, I have a, a strong Marian devotion. So, but uh, all I can say is, it sure feels that way. I, I'm not saying what I'm about to say is from God, but this is what came to mind in that darkness. The Eucharist is the air we breathe. And our lungs are being taken from us. Mm. Our breath is being taken from us. And I do believe, John Henry, that it's a warning. And that if we don't repent and heed that warning, that it's going to get worse. That there'll be another wave. But I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm not saying God said that to me. It's just a very, very strong conviction that I have. So yes, I believe there's a connection. I couldn't quite explain it to you, um, as you know, as a Marian scholar might be able to. But uh, I do believe there is a connection to that reality. The yeah. world, the, the, the John Henry. The reason is too, is that no one is untouched by this situation, whether it be economically, whether it be people we love or care about, whether it be getting the virus ourselves. No one is untouched in the world by this. How many times can you count an event in your life, in your young life, or in the lives of your parents where that was true? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, you're going to you're going to have a hard time finding many uh, yeah. to count. Even world wars uh, that uh, affected the world as a, as a whole, there's still pockets that are untouched. I mean, I just don't see that in this case. Yeah, yeah, and this is a particular uh, uh, um, chastisement especially of the faithful it's the it's the faithful who are if you will hurt in or at least sensibly hurt because those of us who who go to daily mass or did go to daily mass the deprivation was is um yeah i'd say it's a very painful thing and i hope the pain doesn't recede because I don't want to go to a place where you get used to being without our Lord, used to not being at present for the Holy Sacrifice. Um, so it's a particular uh, uh, um, pain and offering up for those who are faithful, who were called to come to daily Mass, who were um, given to the love of the Lord in that particular way. Yeah, and I think... The other thing that's going to follow this, my I have a prediction that's dire, and that is there are enemies of reverence in inside the church mm-hmm. at every rank. 
laity, but I'm focused on the laity. Um, and I do believe that that's demonically rooted. I believe that the highest order of demons are concerned with the disruption of worship, proper worship of God. Somebody has noted the, the seraphim uh, that had fallen as a possibility. I, I, I've been wanting to talk with Father Ripperger about it to see. So, I, you know, I defer to, you know, an expert like him. But there are enemies of reverence, and what they are going to do after this pandemic is begin to insist on communion on the hand. But I, but I need to just say this. You've probably heard me say it before. That is absolute in, uh, insanity. I've had so many priests contact me that I didn't know who are reaching out to me. One seminary formator, another priest saying, what happened to you? What did you hear? What, you know, what did you go through? And they say, they've said to me, it's way less likely to have human contact and to be safer to distribute communion on the tongue while people are kneeling than in any other way. Yeah. But we have a, and there are enemies of reverence in the church. And again, I'm focused on laity. I don't, I really don't want to be quoted as, 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 you know, railing against anyone else because that's the, those are mostly who I talk to. And we, we are going to be told that that's not, kneeling on the tongue is not sanitary when the exact opposite is true. And what I always mm-hmm. say to people is, I didn't uh, open my car door with my tongue on the way to Mass. I didn't flush the toilet before I left my, I mean, I'm sorry to be crass, I'm, but it's true, with my mm-hmm. tongue on the way to Mass. Um, I didn't uh, handle this, that, and the other in the grocery store, bef- to whatever I picked up on the way to Mass, with my tongue. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. And, and not only that, I'll say this. Uh, pr- my own priest has told me, I mean, if you cup your hands the way people normally receive on the hand, you, the way your fingers naturally go is they, they bend and it creates sort of a cup, unless you really force yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So it's natural. Look at the surface area of your hands cupped. And I've had uh, several priests tell me it is way more difficult to avoid contact with your hands like this than it is to give someone communion who's stationary because they're on their knees. They can't move as much, who essentially have a hole there to put the, the Blessed Sacrament in, or the tongue, uh, which is a very a much more smaller, much smaller surface area. And uh, I'm telling you that you faithful out there are going to be faced with more aggression against it. You need to be ready, and you need to be resolute that you're going to kneel and receive properly anyway and if you and if you can't in the church you're in find another one Mm -hmm. um if you know uh, taylor marshall has said you know people should go to the latin mass and and on his show i said well i said you know if i had young kids i'd be going there because the culture of reverence you know that would Mm -hmm. be my default um Right now, I'm supporting a good priest, and, I, and I'm very committed to that, and we should do that. If all faithful Catholics leave the ordinary form, what's left? You know, you're leaving good priests hanging out to dry who are really trying to do the right thing. You're leaving laity who need to hear your voice, all of that. So you have to discern the will of God here. But, but, if, but if, I, if I was in a place where I, if I was in a diocese that I could not reverently receive the Lord, I would leave the diocese. Mm-hmm. What do we do when you're confronted with that situation? Let's say the, the, the stakes are raised, as you said, and a priest just refuses. Would you advise that they kind of um, reverently receive on the hand and, and try and wash the particles, or that they just make a spiritual Holy Communion uh, at that time and, and, uh, and uh, try and go, obviously go to our Lord uh, the next time in a, in a place where they can? I would stay kneeling and see what happens, number one. Mm-hmm. And if they just pass you by and, and let people come around you, then that they're obviously not going to give you the Lord. You have to take a spiritual communion, stand up. I wouldn't receive in the hand. I wouldn't acquiesce. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's a, I heard a good priest even one time say, now he was teaching uh, proper uh, participation in the Mass. He's very orthodox in the ordinary form. And he said, but he said, so what if I find myself in a parish 
and handholding is the norm. Handholding is an abuse against the, gen uh, the clear teaching of the general instruction of the Roman Missal, which says you can't change the mass. It's a corporate action. The, the general instruction governs the actions of the priest and of the laity, and you can't do that without violating that clear admonition. He says, what do you do if you find yourself in place? Well, for the sake of unity, you need to hold the hand of another person. I, I, so everything else this priest said I agreed with, and I thought, that is an absolute bunch of baloney. It's false unity. You're, you're saying, for the sake of unity and violating church teaching, I'm going to be. I'm going to unify with others in violating church teaching, or I'm going to unify with others in 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 foregoing humility before the Lord. No way, absolutely not. So I I kind of lost track of your question, but I think I answered it. Um, yeah, I, you know. One of the one of the uh, very interesting things that you talked with Taylor about was about um, an exorcism that you experienced and the the demons who were forced to speak under the power of Christ as, as has happened in the scriptures before, etc. But they were talking about this kind of uh, uh, um, demonic wish or or to to abuse what happens in the mass. I, I think many people don't know. Uh, about these rules, about uh, you know the 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 um, different irreverent things that are just done, but uh, like hand holding for the Our Father or whatever, or or the, the the ring around the altar for the Our Father, invite the little children up and so on that that look all cute, but they're actually abuses. Um, and you you mentioned that there are sometimes that's connected to uh, the the demonic activity. Well, so. Uh, just to be clear, I have been involved in a number of exorcism. I've also involved with more than one possessed person, and I have permission to say what I'm going to say because I've been criticized in the past um, for for being open about my experiences. And so Taylor Marshall was relaying how, when he was in a, a an, over, uh, an ordinary form parish, his little girl, I think it was maybe three or four, or four at the time, saw girl altar servers and she said to taylor marshall daddy i want to be a girl priest and i mm. just went oh gosh you can't undo that and what i said to taylor was i said i've been in a, a situation where i heard a demon say children are easy mm. children are easy which is a was a horrifying moment it's a horrifying thing to repeat it's a horrifying thing to experience but the point is, is that there's always demonic activity around the most important things that we do as Catholics. The right. enemy is always trying to hinder us from growth. And, you know, the minute you decide to go practice daily mental prayer, I guarantee you, you're going to have all hell coming against you. You still do it and you'll overcome, especially if you pray the Exilium Christianorum prayers and you understand. I just wrote a book, by the way, Spiritual Warfare and Discernment of Spirits to help with that sort of thing. But... Um, you know, the, the, so the enemy is going to come against you. And, and as I noted, I do believe there are strong where where the most important things are hierarchically. You can you can just know that the, there's going to be more demonic activity. And uh, why is there so much abuse? I think it's in part because uh, the, the, that's what the enemy wants is to constantly abuse and to motivate God's people, even good people to abuse uh, their relationship with God and to commit abuses. You know, another abuse lay people commit all the time is the usurpation of priestly function uh, mm -hmm. in the Mass by, uh, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, imitating the Oran's position. Friends, that's only for the priest. You don't get to do that. You get mm -hmm. to do certain things that, that God has determined in that right um, by the magisterium, but you don't get to imitate the priest. You don't get to say the prayers of the priest. Those are abuses and they're sinful for you to commit. And those are just some examples to answer your question. Mm -hmm. Now, this is very interesting because I think there are a lot of people who, again, don't realize any of this. They were asked by their priests to 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 bring their girls up to serve, etc., etc. Um what would you say to those mums and dads who have had their their little girls serving, never meaning to offend our Lord? Um, what what would your advice be to them? Yeah, and I don't know in that case if I'd call it an offense. 
I would call it, though, a problem, as demonstrated by the effect on Taylor's little girl. Mm-hmm. And I would just say simply, you know, God bless you for your faithfulness to the church. Uh, you need to turn away from these practices. You need to learn. Mm-hmm. You need to understand that that most priests have served as altar boys. Sociologically, um, when girls enter into that space, boys are pushed out. You can ask any mm-hmm. good priest, anyone uh, who's faithful to the magisterium and takes it very seriously, have you seen boys get pushed out as girls come in? Yes, because girls are more mature, they're more vocal, they're more sort of in control of themselves early, if you will, than boys. And it's, no, it's, it's a normal sociological reality that occurs. And so that means there are fewer priests or fewer young men who are properly discerning their call to the priesthood because of this phenomenon. For that very reason, we should not do it. And it's not saying girls are not more worthy to be in the presence of God than boys. There's just different roles and different reasons why these things occur. We're not oppressing mm-hmm. girls by saying, you know, we're not oppressing men by saying you can't bear children. We're not oppressing men by saying, you know, uh, women are generally more open spiritually to God than men. It's not, it's not a disrespect of men to say that. Similarly, mm-hmm. we're not oppressing girls to say, you know, it's important that young men get to uh, explore the possibility of the priesthood by being involved and serving at the altar. And, and that's more important than you being able to do that thing which you would like to do. Absolutely. One of the things that I wanted to get to with you before we before we end here is that the necessity of a priest. Now, this was very interesting. You were in hospital. You were a coronavirus patient. And of all people, you had it severe where you actually feared for your life. And yet, uh, you mentioned that there were nurses coming in. There's also janitors coming in to clean your room, empty your trash. And yet, priests absolutely forbidden from coming to you to minister to your soul, to empty the trash in your soul, as uh, the wife of Matt Frad said, who was also in hospital and experienced that, and also said the same thing, that janitors came in, surely a priest had come in to help me get rid of the garbage in my soul. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect example of the insanity, right? And and so, so who should go in? Uh, the, in Chicago, God be praised, there was this group of young men who had uh, young priests who had no underlying conditions that put them at greater risk to forgetting the virus or dying from the virus, who said, I'm willing and ready to go. I would say, please, please to bishops. I would plead to bishops, let them go. And I would plead to civil authorities. I think it is absolutely outrageous that civil authorities would impede the most important care that a patient needs. The most important care that a patient needs isn't to save their life. The most important care that a patient needs is to save their soul. And so if a priest is young, strong, willing, and able, every bishop should allow them, every civil authority should allow them. And I think it's a travesty that they're not allowed. And and I would say, I think for the most part, uh, it's a civil authority issue and it's a hospital policy issue and it's it's absurd and ridiculous and it's contrary to religious liberty um and it's contrary to reason if a janitor can go in safely by god a priest can go in safely and Mm -hmm. and that that's uh you know but that's also a sign john henry at least in the united states of the erosion of liberty the Mm -hmm. erosion erosion you know we've had to have bar you know i'm not a political guy but um, we've, we've had to have uh, Barr threaten and say, stop impeding the religious liberty of, 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 uh, of Christians. And I'm, I'm sure, I don't think he singled out Christians. I don't, I don't know the quote. He probably just, in general. Um, uh, and I, I was very encouraged to see that. It's, mm-hmm. our, our religious liberties are eroding in the United States quite dramatically before this administration of course, we saw the requirement of nuns to pay for fund abortions through uh, sinful constructs of healthcare and all of that. 
But um, thankfully, that's been rolling back a bit under this administration. And I'm no, you know, I am not a Republican Catholic. I'm a Catholic mm -hmm. who votes for life. I'm a Catholic who votes on the basis of the most important issues of our time. And of course, in the civil uh, realm, and this is not a political statement, this is a moral statement, abortion is is uh, of, among the most grave sins. I think it's it follows closely by what we've been talking about, and that is sacrilege um, and desecration uh, of the whole of, of sacred things, and in particular the body and blood of our Lord. But next, mm -hmm. a, a clear uh, next level of sin is abortion and uh, the selling of fetal, selling of parts, and all of this incredible sickness that we mm -hmm. also need to repent of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Dan Burke, thank you so very much for being with us on the show. Uh, do you have any final parting words uh, for uh, for our viewers? And if you can tell them, please, where they can access your materials and your uh, and your spiritual formation. Thank you. Yeah, please repent. If you've been a part of these practices, don't hear me condemning you. I'm not. I don't go I don't go to uh, these masses with abuse. I don't even look at the, I don't look at the priests with criticism. I don't look at lay people who, who don't know any better with criticism. I'm there to worship the Lord. Please don't hear me judging you. But if it applies and if it's piercing your heart, please repent and go to confession. Please begin to learn and take more seriously what it means to approach uh, our blessed Lord and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Please do that. Uh, in terms of resources, there are a couple. Um, we have more students than ever right now at the Avila Institute for Spiritual Formation. We have graduate studies and then also uh, personal enrichment studies for those who don't want to write so many papers and read so many books, but who want to get holy. We have spiritualdirection.com that has thousands of articles on the interior life. And then finally, our community, I've really opened up much more than I ever have because of the isolation. So I'm doing a Sunday night series on uh, the uh, what's called a paradigm of ascent, and that's how saints become saints. If you go out to apostolivia.org, A-P-O-S-T-O-L-I-V-I-A-E.org, and create a profile, it's all free. And we're trying to, we provide groups, prayer groups that are meeting. We're doing co constant formation uh, for nothing to help God's people come together with other people of faith who really take their faith seriously and need to be strengthened in this time when we're so isolated. So, John Henry, thanks for allowing me to say that. Thank you for the good work you do in defending life and uh, trying to get the truth out there and for our time together today. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Thank the Lord for bringing you back from the edge so that you might proclaim his truth to many, many people. God bless you, and we'll see you next time, everyone. Take care. Hello, this is John Henry Weston. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. There you will find all the past episodes and much more. Thanks again for watching, and may God bless you.